Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today, as always, we have an amazing guest here. We have someone who is an exponential growth business coach and consultant, a true visionary when it comes to performance and technology, and is a serial startup professional. We've got Dan Silberberg. Welcome to the show. David, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited about this. So there's kind of two opposing thoughts out there that there is kind of the school of formal education and then the school of hard knocks. And you're kind of a combination of the two, which has really excelled you into being a thought leader out there and to actually having the credentials and the track record to say that you provide exponential growth to companies. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on kind of those two approaches then and how to merge them? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. So I, I think they're inextricably bound. I don't care how educated you are and how many initials you have after your name. I've yet to meet anybody who leaves this life unscathed, unscarred, right. and have, I don't care how much money you have, I don't care where you grew up, I don't care what your last name is. And I think the distinguishing factor is what, what do you do when you're in the abyss? And there's a beautiful little story about the abyss, and there's a gentleman in it, and uh, his doctor happens to be walking by, and he yells up and says, Doc, I'm in the abyss and I can't get out. I need your help. And the doctor takes out his script pad and he writes a couple of scripts and throws them down and he leaves. And the guy goes, but doc, I'm still in the abyss. And so about 10 minutes later, a priest walks by his priest from, and uh, he does the same thing. And he says, father, right. I'm in the abyss and I can't get out. And uh, so he says, you know, a couple of prayers and everything else. And as he's walking by, the guy says, hey, I still can't get out. And about 10 minutes later, one of his best friends walks by and jumps in the abyss. And the guy says, what are you doing here? Now both of us are here. And the guy who jumped in said, yeah, but I know how to get out. Nice. And really that sense of resilience, that sense of confidence in yourself, that sense of that outcome really has very little to do with your worth. Right. And so it's great to have a lot of education and uh, all that's really valuable, but a value system, a belief system, understanding your human operating system is far more important. Um, and you can do that both through education and you can do that both uh, the other way is actually through lived experience. Right. And I would argue that it's the lived experience and the self-awareness of that that probably can catalyze what you're learning in a university or through your own education, however you choose to do it. Right. Now you've got basically roughly about 40 years of experience in both. You've taken startups, you've launched them, you've worked in corporate America as well. And then you've been formally educated in leadership with a master's degree and focusing in emotional intelligence and social intelligence. What has been the journey for you, though? Because you, you don't get to this level as CEO and as startup guru 
um, without taking these knocks. So what's been your hero's journey and, and how have you established yourself in this form? Um, yeah, that's interesting. So one of the things that I do in my spare time is that I work with men on the hero's journey and okay. working with working with the Jungian archetype of king, warrior, magician, lover. And if you want yes. the education part of that, you can look at more in Gillette. Um, and so we start really at the city of eternal slumber. And this is where each of us has our lived experience. This is where our addictions live. This is where our unhappiness lives. This is the unconscious repetitiveness that is our existence until we sort of wake up and then make some conscious choices as opposed to living in our reactivity, gotcha. right? So how much of your life is just life coming at you and you reacting and how much is you creating an intention for your life? They're very okay. different. They're the opposite. That's the tension, right? And from an existential perspective, how is it that you would need to admit that where you are in life is actually your intention, that you mm -hmm. are totally responsible for the life that you have? So you can't right. blame people. You can't obfuscate. You can't make excuses. The honorable thing in the existential mold is you are who you are and you're where you are because it's exactly what you intended. Right. And so I think um, early on for me in my life, I, I grew up in a family that valued education, that okay. had enough financial wherewithal to create loads of opportunity for travel, for theater, for museums, for music. So an exposure to what really the world, the, the beauty of the world and to find those areas that actually were attractive. And so um, I think from an education perspective, that value system, and I was born with intellectual curiosity. Right. That's you know, so I, I'd love to say that I do a, a lot of this, but one of the principles is that we are thrown into the world, right? We don't necessarily have a choice. We're born and we're thrown in and now we have a family and now we have early education and now we have aunts and uncles and now we have the societal norms and all of that gets downloaded into us in what I call an operating system. Yeah, okay. It's just like a computer. When you get your computer, the hard drive has nothing in it, garbage in, garbage out. So whatever yeah. you're going to load in, you're either going to have viruses or you're going to have great stuff. Okay. Well, it's the same thing in a family system. You're downloaded all these beliefs and values and you have no executive function decision-making to say, you know what, mom, I don't really like that belief. I think I'm going this way. So, um, you know, that that's sort of an interesting thing. I think for me, I had an incredible family of excellence out in the world to look at as, as a mirror. It, getting into business, um, I started in the early 70s and mentoring was a big deal then. And so getting okay. into tier one corporations and being mentored was hugely valuable. So we know from the science that the five people you spend the most time with, mirror neurons say you're going to be probably the most like them. And right, so yes. if you want to if you want to be successful, 
you might want to seek out others. And in my early 20s, I didn't have friends in my 20s. My friends were 35 to 50. And these okay, were yes. accomplished people, right? And I learned from them. And my first job was in a men's clothing store selling suits off the rack in 1973 for anywhere from two to $5,000. That would be like $25,000 today. So guess what? My clients were like Jerry Saunders, who was the CEO of AMD, which is, you know, Intel's biggest chip competitor. Um, okay. A lot of the Hollywood people. And I never sold the clothes, but I have books of talking with these accomplished men to find out what were, what were the skills they were looking at? What kind of character and qualities were they looking for? What made people promotable? And I just happened to sell a lot of clothes because those CEOs and high-level people, people were either intimidated by them or they were kept at bay because of their titles and their companies. So yes. when you get somebody who's really accomplished and you give them an opportunity to talk about themselves, you just have to ask a question and shut up. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I think it's I think it's those combinations. Um, I also think there's an element of luck. I got into tier one corporations very early. And once you're in the tier one, that is your gateway to more tier ones. Right. Yeah, so that got me to these publicly traded multi-billion dollar organizations where I was able to go in, look at their problem children and turn them around exponentially, okay. right? Now, how, how on earth can you develop that skill, though? Because there's not many people that can actually point to the numbers they've had and say, I've exponentially changed a company. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. So um, one of the jobs I had, I was 26 years old, and I got hired by a billion-dollar-plus apparel company. And between okay. the time that I got hired and the time I showed up, they brought in a new group president. And when the first day that I got there, he called me in his office and he told me he didn't like my division. Now, I'm 26 years old and I just see my career, you know, up in flames. So I said, give me a couple of days and let me figure this out. OK, so anyway, I go back and I see him and I say, you know what, this little $7 million business you don't like will be $49 million in 12 months. Are you in or out? And he was like, can you walk me through that? And I walked him through all of the extrapolations that I had done. And that business three years later was 130 million with the second best bottom line against a 501 Levi gene that had been around a hundred years. And the projects that were put around it became a half a billion dollar segment. So okay. part of it was having agency and being on my own side. Part of it was doing the deep work. So I looked at the product. I looked at sales. I looked at how soon I was out of inventory. I looked at store sell through. So I looked at where the product currently sat. And if I were to add some line extension and do some things differently, that's how I got to these numbers. And I think throughout my career, I think it's just a gift. I don't want to get, I just think I get these downloads from the universe <laughs> of how to look at markets and voids. And so in the corporate world, that was easy to do because they're institutionalized. 
And I came in as somebody with fresh eyes. I had no emotional attachment. And, uh, and so it made it easier to be more of an observer and less of a consensus thinker. Yes. And I think one of, one of my attributes is I don't care how anything looks. I am always looking to see how to make it different, how to do it yes. more effectively, how to, how to, what's missing, where are voids, right? So channels of distribution, product extensions, innovation, blah, 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 blah. So, um, and I, I'll give you another example. Um, in the early 2000s, I created the first all-natural, no artificial sweetened flavored water. Okay. Right? Within six months, I had opened Walmart and every major grocery chain other than Kroger. If you know anything about the beverage business, try to get in the beverage aisle without playing, paying a slotting allowance. We paid none, none of them. Okay. Right. So I was able to look at a market, see a trend of better for you. I knew for my own kids, I didn't want them drinking soda and crap. Right. Yes. And created yeah. and then took my fashion background, my personal care background, my perfume background and created bottles and labels and graphics and branding that was aspirational in an industry that is low common denominator. And so within okay. six months, contacted by Coke, Pepsi, and Nestle, and they go, who are you? And me being the little, the little arrogant guy I am, said, well, who are you? Well, how did you do this? How could you not do this? Right? That tension doesn't play well in corporation. Conformity versus expression of truth is a whole different game. As an entrepreneur, those barriers don't exist if you're the startup founder. Right. Those, those don't exist, but the barriers do. Did any of these barriers ever kind of knock you back as well? No, 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 no. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, if you are, if you are willing to look at the world, if you change how you look at things, the things you look at change. So when I went into the beverage industry, I did all the research. So if you want to yes. be successful, you go and find a DSD, direct store delivery guy. You get him to put about five cases of your product on the truck and you hope that it sells through. That is how traditional thinking is. I came out of billion dollar businesses. I didn't come out of small business. So I had to figure out how I was. There was no economic model that I saw that would allow me to be profitable in that environment. So what no, I did is I went direct to the store myself and I got them to buy direct. So I lost out on people putting stuff on the shelf, maybe more often and that sort of thing. But I had an economic model, which is what Coke, Pepsi and Nestle couldn't understand how I did it because I had an 80% gross margin. <laughs> so I had all the money I needed. So what I looked at was architecting an economic and business model first and then figuring out within that world how to make that work. Yeah. And because my product was first to market, because it was unique, because it was on trend, most of the beverages were for men 18 to 24. If you looked at Red Bull, the energy drink market, 
Sobe, these different products that were out there. Well, I don't see many 18 to 24-year-olds in a grocery store three times a week, but I see women 25 to 55 there all the time. So I had basically this better-for-you beverage, which was aspirational to the female customer, how the bottle was constructed, the labeling, the color stories, the flavoring, the messaging was all put together that way. And so our sell-throughs, you know, Albertsons, for example, we shipped them 25,000 cases. They never had the product before it sold out in three weeks. Gone. Okay. So those are the kinds of things. Crabtree and Evelyn was another one where I took a global brand revitalization as CEO. We were in a hundred countries. So mm-hmm. I went into that company. I looked at the, it, the product was stunningly beautiful, but it was a gift for Aunt Martha. Yeah, okay. So as I looked at that business, I went, okay, if I'm going to grow this thing, what am I going to do differently? Well, if you're in the personal care game, don't you want somebody doing everyday usage? So if it's beautiful and it's the appropriate gift giving, if you were to walk into a lavatory at a person's home, and the mm-hmm. only soap was the one that was in that box, you would leave without washing your hands with soap. Well, that's crazy. Right, yeah. So we did everyday usage. We brought in hair care. We changed the packaging so that we didn't put it in beautiful boxes. It was in a nice bottle, but now it became everyday. So we grew that business 40% in six months. Okay. So these are, these are things where a fresh eye a look at a marketplace different um, would do it. I'm not going to tell you how I'm going to get there, but if you were the CEO of Ben and Jerry's in 18 months, I could tell you how to grow that business a hundred million dollars. You would be in the same channel of distribution, the same brand equity, the same places in stores. And so that's, that's kind of how I do it. So, and I I have to mm -hmm. say it's down, a lot of it is just intuitive. And I think after you practice for a long time, you know, this idea of Malcolm, uh, you know, 10,000 hours, I've got my 10,000 hours in (laughs) very early. (laughs) Yeah. But I I was, let's go back to let, I really want to hit on this point because, uh, it kind of ties in what, what you've said with the experience and what you said earlier with intention and designing your own life. Now, if I was to use the sports analogy, there's reaction sports, read and react. And then there's the stop start sports, the strategy sports. And with those, you're basically putting the intention forward and then trying to execute on whatever you thought about. And then in the reaction sports, you're there reading the environment and then you've got to make something happen quick and it's more of a systems kind of mentality and i kind of see this being a a combination of the two is that in the leadership realm you've got the intentionality and you teach this and we want to dive into it but right now in this business aspect you were a master at this read and react you went in there And instead of going with a stringent systems approach, the formal education model of how businesses run, it was, no, let's see what is out there and then make a reaction that's going to work based off of what was in front of us. 
what are your thoughts with that? And then how does this kind of tie into what you're teaching in the leadership realm? Okay, so they're they're really two separate things. So the mm-hmm. the thing that I I think intimated earlier is this idea of what I call institutionalization. When yes. you go to multi billion dollar publicly traded companies, yeah, mm-hmm. what is that environment look like? Well, right. usually it's hierarchical. Usually yes. it's top down, one up, one down. Mm-hmm. You have a boss. Don't rock the boat, right? Be innovative, but don't be vulnerable. I don't know how you innovate without being vulnerable, but I guess you should try that. I know. There's so so many juxtapositions there, like uh, opposed thinking. So one of the, so it's, it's multifaceted, right? So one of the things is to read and react to a market. Yes. Whether that's geographic, whether that's channel of distribution, whether that's what's currently offered, what could we add to it or based on our uh, consumer and our brand uh, affection, what other categories could we move into mm-hmm. that might, you know, uh, bring more revenue? So there's sort of that idea. But then there's also the read and the reactivity in the organization. Okay. I am not, oh, a, ma- I'm not a maintenance guy. I never got uh, yeah. a, you know, Sit in the chair, get your $10 million, get your stock options. We'll give you an office like Jack Welch in a plane when you're done. Right, yeah. So one of the skills I think that I was able to bring was to go to the cliff of the norms and not fall in the abyss. Yes. But I was, I was always known as being disruptive, as being different. I would say that I was tolerated for my capability. So the, the comment that I have is you're hired for, who, for what you can do. That is your competency, your skills, your reputation. You're always fired for who you are. Ah, okay. Yeah? Big difference. Dive into that a bit more. All right, so now that takes us to leadership. Mm-hmm. Who are you as a leader? What values do you have? What belief system do you have? What limiting beliefs do you have? Mm-hmm. What triggers you? Are you even competent at what you're doing? Right. Sometimes people get promoted. The whole Peter principle was you get to the point of being incompetent. <laughs> yes. Some could, some could argue that our country right now is suffering under an incompetence problem. It's not to, and I'm not mm-hmm. talking about one party or the other. Right. But there is this feeling out there of experts. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether and I, I'd actually people. say kind of globally, it's not just one country. It's the whole Western right? world. <laughs> and how's that working for you? So right. there's to your to your point, there's this in the street game where common a lot of us that have common sense just look at this and go, what are they doing? Yeah. Right. And and so. You know, again, in terms of of if you're in a system where things are top down, where it's a one up, one down game, Mm -hmm. where the company is siloed. Why is that? Because if you don't have the full picture, you're not the threat of the people. So it only goes to the the office of the C-suite. Yeah. Yes. That pyramid is now, in my mind, is an extinct model. 
So oh. if you're going to become a new leader, mm -hmm. it's going to be bottom up. So when, when I'm dealing with you as an individual, do I have the social emotional intelligence to know what, where your fears are? Do I know in a particular environment, it doesn't appear Dave's on board with me. I think I want to take it offline and go, you know, Dave, I'm sensing that there's some concern about what we're talking about. I'm really interested to hear your opinion. Mm -hmm. You ever had a boss do that? I never did. <laughs> no. <laughs> right? Now, 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 so now, on this point, um, so what you're saying is we need more leadership at the bottom up. Do you think society's ready and capable of teaching leadership at the bottom? Is it ready? I think there's a huge hunger for it. Mm -hmm. What I would say, my experience is that my degree was a lived experience. And yeah. so when you go to a normal university, they teach you the theory mm -hmm. and then you're supposed to regurgitate it back. And to the extent that you do that well, you get a nice grade. Yes. My whole experience was this philosopher or this thinker said this, apply it to you. How does this apply to your life? Mm -hmm. Right. So when Alfred Adler talks about birth order and he says, if you're the second child, there's two options for you. There's the first <laughs> child and the second. Right. Yes. So you either will submit to the king or queen above you or you will pursue to overtake you as a second child probably will be a key, a peacekeeper and a mediator in a family system. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the theory. No grade for that. So right. Dan, in your family, how did that work? Well, so, in my so on family, that, right. So on that my theory family, though, on that theory, wouldn't we have more people overtaking power and doesn't that threaten kind of the traditional power model that we have currently in society then? Well, what, do, first of all, before we can talk about leadership, mm -hmm. yes, we, we jump to leadership, but we forget that who are you as a leader is the more important question. More important question. Absolutely. Who are you as a leader? How do you, how do you define your leadership style? Do people want to follow you? How self-aware are you of how you sabotage yourself and others? How aware are you that you're limiting beliefs? How aware are you that you just go along with the flow as opposed to being assertive? Right. Do you really spend the time and do your homework so that people want to follow you because they trust you? Mm -hmm. are you? Are you blaming others or do you take on... So right now we're in a political world to blame. Yes. The people that are at the scene of the murder never claim they were there. It was always somebody else. Oh yeah. It's about to be past the buck season. <laughs> okay. Well, like that's, that's gonna, not a great leader quality that people want to follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we look at it, I look at personal mastery. We talk about purpose mastery. What is your purpose in this business? What values of the business align with you? Part of the great resignation is that the work's not inspiring. The company's yes. not inspiring. So when we talk about being a leader, how do you, one of the key questions, how do you make decisions? Mm -hmm. Do you make decisions based on the mission, vision, and, and the value system of the entity? Or are you making it on your belief system? Okay. Most organizations have a disconnect 
between what's on the wall and how they make their decisions. Right. How do you expect to bring people along? Mm -hmm. So on this point, um, let's dive into kind of that subsection. So you mentioned the great resignation. So people going off on their own, working at home. And then this concept of leadership where you need a following. And it becomes more and more noisy as more people strive to be these leaders. Um, but you also have this subsection of the population who want to work from home and don't necessarily want a following or know how to do that. Is it possible for these solo people to show some leadership without a following then? I would argue that whether you're at home or you're re even if you're remote, mm -hmm. you are in meetings. Yes. Yeah. So what would happen if this, you're in a meeting now with senior management mm -hmm. and the CEO comes up with an idea and you're sitting there and you're going, I hear what you're saying, Bob. However, I think it contradicts the value system that we're in. Mm -hmm. Everybody sits in the room. And they tell Bob he's doing great. Yep, 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 yep. You raise your hand and you say, you know, Bob, I think there's a lot of merit to where this is going. But I have a concern that it may be left of center of where our values are. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if we might further do some inquiry into that. Right. Now, the audience is going to sit and go, Dan, you just got fired. <laughs> do you know what the ceo thinks that guy's no. trustworthy okay all right Perfect. and when the ceo doesn't fire dan mm -hmm. people want to work with dan right because they know he's trustworthy they know mm -hmm. he's authentic they know that he will stick up for them he didn't have to say i'm going to stick up for all you who are afraid to say what we all know is true <laughs> Right. Yeah. And so those kinds of things happen all the time. You're sitting in a meeting and people say, you know, we need to sit and think outside the box. Everybody go. Yep. Yeah. And that becomes now mm -hmm. cliche, rigor, right? We're all yeah. going to. Well, <laughs> I'm in a meeting like that and I raised my hand and I go, well, first of all, I don't understand being in a box. Second of all, if I'm going to be in a box. I'd like it to be the right one, not to have to think outside the wrong one. Yes. And number three, if I'm going to be in a box, I'd like it to be extremely tiny. Because now I can explode out. But if I'm in a really big box, I got everybody in all different directions and whatever, right? Yes. So not really a great idea. <laughs> so where do you get this consensus? At the end of the day. If you say that phrase one more time, I'll fire you. It's so inane, right? But this is where conformity in our own developmental environment, yeah? There is conformity and there's expression, truth to your highest vision, yes. which is to say in a family or in a business, I love you guys. I definitely want to be a part of this. This is outside the realm of what I think we should be doing. So 
movies are always wonderful to talk with, right? Yes. So if you like The Godfather like I do, because I think everything about the world is in The Godfather movie, <laughs> but Garzini's at the head of the table. Michael's got to come back from Italy, right? And they want to sell drugs. And Brando, you know, Don Corleone is saying that is a step too far. Right. So he's like, look, I'm part of the family. And they say, but you have all the judges. And he goes, when have I ever refused an accommodation? I love you guys. I'm part of this. I can't get judges to do the drugs. So then they come to an agreement and he is not going to be a part of that, but he's still a part of an important piece of the family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Where in life do we give up that agency? Where in our, and we do it in relationship. We do it in family system, right? Leader is not only in business. Mm-hmm. I would argue, forget Big business. Time. Let's just become a leader in the world. Let's become, yes. have agency, right? Let's mm-hmm. have confidence in who we are. Let's be accepted for our authentic self. Yes. So you basically have two ways to die. Mm-hmm. You can die in terror, knowing that you played a character and it wasn't an Academy Award winning performance. <laughs> or you can die in your own authenticity. Yes. And I would argue that's how you can get to acceptance. That's how you get to self-love, self-acceptance, honoring that you could be infallible, but that we're all connected. Perfect. So what I'm gathering here is the new definition of leadership is forming these sincere, honest, authentic collaborations. Yeah, there's an acceptance of the more you know about yourself, right, the less defensive you are, the more you have agency, the more you are in your Mm self-expression, the more you understand. So when we look at when we look at development, right, there's kind of poles. So we all have this amygdala in our brain, which is the fight, flight and freeze game. Yeah. Mm hmm. So that part of our evolutionary brain is 20,000 times more powerful than the front neocortex, which is where our executive decision making is. So if we're in stress and fear, Mm -hmm. our creativity, our decision making, all of that's where reactivity lives. Yes. So what happens if we move more to trusting and less in scarcity? we actually reduce the fear. But isn't the game right now to draw up fear? That if we were to look at the way kind of things are run globally and and we're looking at disruption right now, uh, are we trying to change it from a fear-based model of the world into, into something else then? No, because the people who are running the game right now are in their late 70s and 80s, and they're extinct. Oh, okay. So when you, you know, again, let's not talk about a political party, mm-hmm. but whether it's a Mitch McConnell, uh, a Pelosi, a Steny Hoyer, a James Clyburn, a Joe Biden, every one of these people can't even talk with the level of energy we're talking with. Oh, no. <laughs> right? And so they've grown up in a system... And the whole idea when in the whole idea of a system is homeostasis. Yes. 
So why do people default to a system? It's the fear of rejection, a mm -hmm. fear of being judged, a fear of not being part of the gang. Right. Right. And so it's counterintuitive that when you're authentic and you can say, again, I love you. I'm, I'm with you guys. This is a bridge too far. Mm -hmm. You're not probably getting thrown out. And I would argue if you are, you're in the wrong group. Right. There is a group out there. And so, yes, the whole world right now is whether you want to look at it fascist, totalitarian, authoritarian, it's not the best of what's, what is best for humanity and for mm -hmm. our people, or that's not where it comes from. Right. There's but more there's of a, a dominate or be dominated mm -hmm. game. But there's As a, a leader, certain level of comfort in that. And humans are prone to comfort and wanting to stay in comfort. And now if there was to be a change, then that's going to stir up more of this fear, correct? How do we get past that in this change-making process? So my belief is that humans are very adaptable. And we always go to that analogy of if you put a frog in boiling water, it jumps mm -hmm. out. But if you put it in warm water and slowly turn the heat up, well, right. that's kind of what I think is going on in the world. And so what you're starting to see, like in Sri Lanka, is the population just overthrew the government because there mm -hmm. comes a point where what used to be tolerable becomes intolerable. Right. We saw that with COVID where masking shutdowns, all the different things that were done. We've actually lost the ability now that when we really would need to do something like that mm -hmm. can't happen. No, right. No, that's gone. So as a leader, one of the things that I believe is important is the ability to see around the corner, which means that, and then, so what we hear out in our, in our environment is, mm -hmm. oh, it's a black swan and unintended consequences. <laughs> well, it might be a pink swan too, but the consequences were really pretty predictable. Yes. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. so, again, this idea of just accepting what we're fed like pablum, if we're going to have good leaders, we as leaders ourselves first need to be able to think critically. Right. Right. Don't just swallow what's put out there. Do your research. Yeah. Take a look at what triggers you. Because all when you look at what triggers you, this is the fragmentation that we as human beings have that we haven't integrated. So we go and do something and somebody throws a, uh, a McDonald's bag on the ground. You like explode and start running after the guy and you're screaming at him because <laughs> you're so triggered about that. And I'm just looking at it like, okay, big deal. I'll go pick it up and put it in the garbage can yeah. or you go to the movie with a friend, your partner, your spouse, whatever. You go and have coffee afterward. What do you love about the movie? And you're looking at each other like, did we go to the same place? Right. Were we at the same theater? Yeah. <laughs> so it's this lens of perspective on the world that is our differences. And how does that create? How do we sabotage ourselves? Mm -hmm. How do we push away others? 
How do we make others feel bad so that we get to feel good? How do we project onto others? And so this is really the work. And why we're not teaching this to people, I don't know. But my leader operating system game, that's what this is all about. And the people who get these skills are significantly advanced in any system, family, organization, um, 501c3, Mm not-for-profit. I don't care where it is. There is something counterintuitive that makes you highly attractive. Absolutely. People so get how, it in a- kind, of, kind of walk us through how you, you teach this then, because uh, a lot of people probably aren't, aren't aware of these, these methods out there. They're just so used to established lecture type teaching. How do you teach, teach these skills? What makes this program so unique? I think what makes it unique is the diversity of thinkers. So, mm-hmm that when I look at it, we take a look at things like Joseph Conrad, the hero's journey and yes. these archetypes. That's And so I don't believe in pathology. So in other words, mm-hmm. if you're a Freudian or you're a Jungian or you're an Adlerian, that's a pathology. Right. I believe in creating a toolkit. So mm-hmm. we do some psychology and we take these different points of view, but everything comes to you as a lived experience. Right. And this is how you grow and become more self-aware. We take a look at attachment theory, John Bowlby. So Mm -hmm. are you securely attached? If you're if when you were born, you came into a house, there was a lot of noise, a lot of yelling, maybe physical abuse. You were crying. You need to be fed. They're changing a diaper or you're waiting an hour before anybody sees you. You're sitting in your high chair and you're cooing and mom's on the phone. Somebody's at the door and you're not getting reflected. Mm -hmm. So we hear about two and three year olds. The first day of school can't leave mom. Right. Yes. Right. If mom leaves, they start crying. So Mm -hmm. this is could be insecure attachment, avoidant attachment. We take a look at your upbringing to see And as you become more aware of the pattern that you have, you now have a choice to change it. So your pattern is... How do you make those changes? We give you assignments. We give you things to do. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I'm alone and on my own. No one wants to help me. The world's a scary place, and I'm not going to venture too far. So your assignment for the week is to ask for things. Dave... Could you sharpen my pencil? Dave, I'm really busy. Would you get me a drink? Dave, could you call me an Uber? Dave, could you blah, 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 fill in the blank. It's not big. It's repetitiveness so that 90% of the time. So now it's a new habit. Mm -hmm. And now your belief goes, hey, wait a minute. Every time I'm asking and because I'm doing it repetitively, the neuroplasticity in my brain is actually forming new neurons. Yeah. Right. And I think that's so important. Yeah. I think that's so important to mention and stress is that to form habits, there needs to be something physical with it as well. So this is kind of where that theoretical versus experiential come together is with, with the two, you're actually able to set up situations where 
these unconscious habit centers through repetition get built because you're actually doing a task. So one of the things we look at is your belief system, your mm -hmm. thoughts. Thoughts create behaviors. Behaviors yes. create your choices. Mm -hmm. Your choices create your experiences. Your experiences have emotions and those emotions become your memory. Mm -hmm. So when you ask someone, tell me three of your earliest experiences, we've had thousands of experiences. Why do those three come up? Right. So now we can I would start hazard to the guess that it's because those were the most impactful, but also the ones they've used the most. Would I be correct in that? They're, they are the ones that have embedded themselves in your view of the world. So mm -hmm. by way of analogy, if you understand anything about photography and artists, most right. people, when they look through a camera, see what's directly here. Mm -hmm. An artist has this lens. He doesn't have this lens or she, they have this lens. When you start to have a wider perspective, when you are more self-aware of your pattern, when you understand that between stimulus and response, there's a space yes. and in that space is a choice. I can react, say things that I'm going to be sorry for, or I can breathe and count to five. And so I want to move from my sympathetic to my parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, now I'm in control. Yes. So you say something to me and I'm really angry. Mm -hmm. I would say, ouch. Yep. That interrupts the state. If you're paying attention, you would go, ouch, what's that about? <laughs> well, now we're right. And so we've depersonalized in a way or... Mm -hmm. You know what, Dan, I'm really unhappy about blah, blah, blah. Okay, Dave, say more. That's right. interesting. Say more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like, well, I didn't do that. And who are you to tell me that? And, blah, 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 and all that stuff that goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So these are things that we teach. We teach, we look at somatic. What's mm -hmm. going on? If you want to get to your, this, this is lies up here. Your thoughts sometimes aren't even yours. They're just there. So if you want to get to more of a truth about something, what's going on up here? Mm -hmm. What am I noticing? Where am I feeling it in my body? Big Your time. body is where the truth teller is. Yes, we don't, is. right? And so, you know, when we look at that, so we look at the neuroscience, breath work, somatic work, Joe Dispenza mm -hmm. work, yep. right? We look at existential principles, people like Heidegger and Nietzsche, where Heidegger talks about the enculturation of they. Mm -hmm. This is that conformity play, the societal norms, maybe not the best for everybody. And right. so we give you lots of different approaches to look at and to understand who you are. Mm -hmm. We help you to look at your matrix and with neuroplasticity, how do we change those thought patterns, which we can do through assignment work? So there's one-on-one mm -hmm. -on -one coaching. We put you with an accountability partner and we'll put you in a group. Key. And I don't yes. know if you've ever done group process, but that's that can no. be one of the most painful experiences you'll ever have. <laughs> so you put people in a group and 
you say, okay, we're going to be in group for half an hour. And you don't say anything more. And the group is like, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, mm -hmm. and then someone starts talking and they go, well, I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden, there's all this dynamic that's happening. Well, in a business, there is a group dynamic. Yes. So could you walk into a meeting or a boardroom and without talking to anybody, who's the power player? Who's the obfuscator? Who's the sycophant? Who's the... And you start <laughs> to learn these skills. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now, it's like, hmm, okay, I get this. Right. And it's it's a very, ins I think it's an extremely inspiring year. <laughs> I would say it is definitely inspiring. And we could talk for hours on this subject. But I think it's more important that people who are interested are able to find you and to, and to take this. So where would they do that? Well, if you're a Joe Dispenza fan, you can meet me in the quantum field. But if you're not quite there yet and it's something you aspire to, um, the the best way to get me is on LinkedIn. Okay. I think. So it's Dan Silberberg. And I think in your title, the spelling is there. Um, there's an email there. There's my LinkedIn there. And um, I'm happy to chat with anybody who has an interest in the love of this the way I do. Perfect. And I encourage everyone to do that. And we'll have to have you back on the show and dive into things farther. I, I found this fascinating and it definitely fortifies the title people have given you as thought leader. And I appreciate your thoughts and insight into everything here. And for everybody else, tune into the next episode of the Hardy, Hardy Brain. And I look forward to having more in-depth discussions. Have a great day.